You are now listening to the MS podcast by Sanofi Genzyme. In this podcast, the brain takes center stage when Ole Petteriella, best-selling author and professional speaker, explores the different dimensions of MS and brain health through conversations with international specialists within neuroscience, psychology and physical activity. MS has long been considered a disease of white matter, but studies has highlighted the importance of gray matter demyelination. It seems like a shift is going on where we focus more on the deep gray matter rather than global atrophy. Today, we are lucky to have Dr. Jens Werfel in the studio. He's been central in the development of the techniques relevant for measuring deep gray matter atrophy. Welcome, Jens. Good morning, Ole. Pleasure to hear you. Likewise. What do you think are the components that are really driving MS? Oh, MS is a complex disease. Uh, there's uh, neuroinflammation that is focal, for example. We have the lesions in the CNS and MS. There's also diffuse inflammation, but there's also a strong degenerative, neurodegenerative component in MS. So of these two processes, neuroinflammatory and neurodegenerative processes, which one do you think is the most important one in MS? They are both important and you cannot really tease them good apart from each other. Depending on the disease stage, for example, they both occur early in the disease and they are interconnected. So if you look at lesions, for example, lesions, focal lesions cause valerian degeneration, anterograde and retrograde degeneration. Um, and there's also a trigger for diffuse inflammation that triggers uh, the neurodegeneration in general. So these two processes are strongly connected, in other words. That we do not know yet, and we don't know whether one triggers the other. There are theories that the inflammation triggers neurodegeneration. There are also some papers that show you have a direct effect of T-cells on neurons, so direct neuronal damage. It's not clear yet. Okay, so the old cliche, more research is needed. <laughs> exactly. But we have we have good hints and uh, we see that both processes are start very early. So uh, there are it, it's important components in MS. And if you look apart from the lesions, definitely the degenerative aspect is of high importance in MS. So moving on in that regard, what do you think about global versus regional atrophy on how it correlates with clinical outcome disease progression in the patients? Atrophy in general is a late feature in the, uh, if you look at the tissue in the disease process or in the development of neurodegeneration, but it's a robust feature. It's crude, broad, and not highly sensitive if you look for the whole brain. But if you correlate it to symptoms and disease progression, it's a very robust marker that we have here. And there are various approaches to look into that, uh, also various technical approaches. You can define the tissue volume cross-sectionally. That's what we call segmentation of uh, brain tissue, for example. Or you can look for longitudinal changes, either comparing the volumes at different time points or looking at the boundary shift, which is a much more sensitive method to quantify the change over time. Fortunately, we made good progress in the way that uh, how we analyze data. 
And that helped us to be much more specific and much more sensitive in detecting volumetric changes. And uh, one element of that is that we use a multi-atlas-based approach that is based on histological atlases, so defining very, very clearly and carefully the anatomy and refer that to each individual patient. And that enables us really to come up with absolutely precise measurements of the individual volumes and that we can use also over time. And that uh, helps us to define even small changes over time very reliably. So why should we increasingly focus on regional atrophy instead of a global atrophy in the clinic? In general, we we have something that we uh, coined the clinical radiological paradox. So we do see features of the disease uh, by MRI in vivo, for example, and atrophy is one of these features that is already a good correlate, but it's not perfect. That's why we coined it clinical radiological paradox. So there is some correlation to disability worsening. If you look for a broad measure, if you look for the whole brain, the global atrophy, Now, looking at such a huge volume, you may also have bias from technical sites. There are there are artifacts, for example, in some certain regions of the brain. So a decade ago, we started to look only at certain at a certain part, the central part of the brain, and just chopped off the upper and the lower ends of the brain to get rid of these artifacts that uh, were most uh, commonly seen in those or even missing data that we have. And uh, what we notice doing so is that the effect of atrophy or the amount of atrophy is strongest in these central areas of the brain. And that is in contrast to other neurodegenerative diseases, for example, where I've got frontal atrophy or uh, strong cortical atrophy. In MS, the periventricular area, the central part of the brain, is prone to atrophy. Could you say something about this regional atrophy, especially the deep gray matter atrophy? How is it evolving over time? A later stage or very early on in the disease? We know that in MS, we have very early changes in the deep gray matter, changes in the basal ganglia, especially in the thalamus. Um, and we, we see these changes already in uh, with the first symptom to appear, so in the clinically isolated syndrome patient. And that is opposed to other, for example, motor diseases, uh, where it's other uh, regions that are affected more strongly. In MS, the thalamus is, is seems to be the most sensitive region of atrophy. Does it actually precede the clinical symptoms in the patients, this atrophy? That's a good question. And uh, that is not easy to answer, as in the thalamus, we don't only see atrophy. There are lesions. There's also focal inflammatory pathology in the thalamus that's usually occult to the conventional imaging. But if you use special techniques, if you use, use uh, ultra-high field or um, special sequences, you can reveal these lesions. So it's not always easy to tease apart degenerative effects from inflammatory effects here. Also, the thalamus is composed of white matter tracts that uh, channel through and the uh, gray matter nuclei. However, we know that the changes in the thalamus, they occur very early. And uh, of course, the thalamus is an extremely, it's a crucial node in our brain. It's the gate awareness. It's uh, despite being a complex anatomical structure, many, many fiber tracts feed and run through the thalamus. 
to name two that geniculate uh, nucleus to the primary visual cortex, very important for our patients, or the mediodorsal uh, to prefrontal uh, cortex tracts. So it's a highly interesting and, and important region in the function of the brain. That's why there's a strong clinical relevance if we have changes in these areas. Yeah, so basically what you're saying is that measurements of regional atrophy has a stronger clinical relevance than whole brain volume. For two reasons. One, because it's such a focused area or crucial area in the brain. The other reason is because in MS, this seems specifically to be an area where, where the changes are early and very prominent. Another reason why the thalamus is affected so strongly is that if you have a disturbed axonal transport with so many fibers passing through the thalamus, this is a structure um, that is of relevance. Sanofi Genzyme is a proud sponsor of the Global MS Brain Health Initiative, where the aim is to maximize lifelong brain health for people living with MS, creating a better future for everyone affected by the disease. The initiative calls for greater urgency at every stage from diagnosing, treating and managing MS. Time matters in MS. Read more about the initiative at msbrainhealth.org. Some clinicians seem to use as an excuse not to integrate brain volume loss in their clinical practice because they say they can't measure it on an individual level yet. Do you care to comment on that? Um, yes, I agree. That holds true for the techniques we used in the past. But also, there are many caveats you have to uh, pay attention to, you have to respect. There are many effects you need to control. Some of them are biological, like the circadian changes. There is a difference whether you calculate or you, you quantify the brain in the morning opposed to in the evening. There's a difference whether you drink one or two liters um, before and afterwards. That all will change the brain volume and also the um, thalamic volume. And of course, you have to uh, be sure whether there's an acute ongoing inflammation at the time when you measure or not, because the inflammation causes something we call pseudoatrophy. So there are many biological factors that may bias your measurement. The smaller the volume you check, the higher the variance or the effect may be. And there's also technical factors that you need to uh, take into consideration, like you need long intervals if you'd like to calculate atrophy rates, brain volume loss over time. You need a constant setting technically, the same scanner, the same head call, this identical sequence. You need to center the patient's head in the identical uh, position in the scanner, and you need an adequate post-processing to assure a high sensitivity and reliability. Now, if you consider these factors, you have a measure that's very sensitive to the disease here. And we are able nowadays to respect all these caveats. Very interesting. What would you expect uh, when it comes to the future, how use of these measurements can be used in the clinical practice as a surrogate marker? Well, we know from recent studies that um, thalamus and striatum, for example, correlate very nicely or very strongly with the EDSS, and uh, that enables us to use them as a prognostic tool. And uh, within the thalamic subnuclei, especially the anterior and the pulvinar nuclei and the ventro-anterior nuclei, they have been shown to be very predictive of disability worsening. So we do have a sensitive tool here that 
may be better of higher predictive value than any other parameter that we have at the moment. So the thalamic nucleus, thalamic volume can act as a key metric for neurodegeneration in the future. And technically, our uh, sequence qualities are at such a high standard nowadays, as well as the post-processing procedures that we have in hand. If we respect the caveats that I mentioned, I believe that this is a very sensitive and nice marker for the neurodegenerative processes in MS. So just to sum it up for the clinicians here, the key takeaways from this interesting talk. The clinicians need to train their radiological colleagues and tell them exactly what it needs to come up with a robust parameter. That means considering the caveats, respecting the biological factors, explaining the patient that he has or has not to drink a lot of fluid before these can that in yearly intervals, for example, you invite the patient to the same time of the day, either in the morning or in the evening, but don't mix. You need to keep your technical equipment constant over time. And you do have to use the right and sensitive post-processing technology. And then you will get stable and robust volumetric change results in our patients. Thank you very much for a highly interesting talk that I'm sure will be very valuable for the clinicians working with MS patients. And thank you for taking the time to talk to us here at the MS Podcast. Thank you, Ole. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the MS Podcast by Sanofi Genzyme. <laughs>